0: Welcome to Blight Bringers, a Legion of Everblight podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Tyrone, and I haven't played in like two weeks because the Sioux burned me out. <laughs> Joining me this week is Cutter. Welcome back to the show.
1: Ahoy. Uh, I have played a little bit, um, although none of the stuff I played at the Sioux. So uh, yeah, work's been also a little crazy. So kind of getting back into the spirit of things, looking ahead at uh, what events are in the future
0: cool yeah it's good to get a break from uh, high level stuff and get back to just kind of playing what you enjoy Mm -hmm. and uh, Ryan he might join us later Uh, right now he's got no power so we'll see what happens with that if he doesn't join us well he's missed and hopefully he listens to the show later uh, by himself special guest this week uh, one of the people who was at the Sioux recently Uh, Jordan welcome to the show
2: hey thanks for having me
0: yeah it's great to have you on uh we were talking before the show how you pretty much just man moded callus one all weekend uh how did the suit go for you
2: uh it was a great experience i did drop callus one uh four times in champs and four times in masters <laughs> <laughs> uh it felt like the right choice at the time uh it was enjoyable uh I'm taking a little break since then but i'm ready to get back into it
0: yeah perfect um yeah, the Suez is a super good time, and, and I look forward to it next year, uh, assuming it's even in the same place. They did a uh, survey, and I might still be online, but you could fill it out. And they were, one of the questions was uh, if we moved venues, would that improve the odds of you coming or make it less likely that you would show up? So I don't know what their plans are, but clearly they have eyes or considerations on making it even better and bigger than last year. Oh, uh, yeah, so, all right, go ahead, Kater.
1: I, I was just gonna say I would really miss that location.
0: But it's nice. I imagine
1: they're probably just getting a little big for that space is what I'm guessing.
0: Uh yeah, I think it might be part of, partly that. Um but but like yeah, that, that space is super convenient, has everything you need being attached to a mall, and uh you know, it'd be sad to see it go, that's for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. I know scheduling can be a little tricky sometimes, too, with certain locations.
0: Yeah, you have to book way in advance. Mm-hmm. But enough about the Sioux. What we're going to talk about this week, uh, looks like, Cutter, you've written, written down some questions that, uh, in some topics that you guys are going to go over. So the show for today is uh, going to focus on evaluating the pre-event meta, 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 evaluating your goals for the meta and the event, working through list considerations, and working through putting together a pairing. Um, Cutter, why don't you take it away?
1: Yeah, I would add one more thing to that list that I wrote and then stopped writing, (laughs) uh, which is actually how to structure practice. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'll write that in there. That's a great idea. Structuring practice. So, yeah, basically what I was talking to... Jordan about through like private messages. And it seemed like a cool conversation. I think it's being on a podcast has kind of warped my mind a little bit sometimes, where if I'm ever talking to people, I'm like, oh, this is actually a really good discussion that should be on a podcast. If that person's willing to come on the show, then that'll usually be a prompt to do so. So basically, the idea was uh, I think a the Sioux is one of those big events in this region where people kind of prep for a long time. You kind of get your list together. You start, you know, tweaking them, practicing them as, and do as many things as you can. And then you finally have your, you know, seventy-two hours of mind-melting war machine. And then <laughs> you come out of the other side of that, and you're like, okay, well, I just played these lists for forever. Uh, what's what's going to happen now? And we see that on a bigger scale. The WTC is kind of the world level event in that capacity. And it's why the meta kind of revolves around it so much, because it's seen as one of the premier competitive events. And a lot of the competitive players put a lot of time into it and do the same thing, but on like an annual scale. So uh, as the events start getting closer, I think we'll start seeing that meta shaping up. Um, But in the meantime, uh, a lot of us aren't traveling to the WTC, or uh, I know a lot of people don't even go to cons. So what I thought would be cool to talk about with someone is preparing for a local event. That's something we've talked about before, where just like having a three list event or something can dramatically change the list that you might bring uh, and how you feel about them. I think local events are really interesting in terms of the types of things that you're going to see. Sometimes you <clears throat> your strongest player can just play really weird stuff in your meta, or it might just be someone who has your number. you know So for like Legion, for example, um, one of our big problems is protectorate. And if you have a strong protectorate player who just plays weird stuff, but whatever that weird stuff is has Adjudicator in it, it's probably still going to be like a reasonably tough matchup for us. <clears throat> so sometimes what you're looking at playing into can be a lot different. Um, that's kind of the the idea that I wanted to go into it with. And so something that I wanted to do was, I think I put these out of order a little bit, So, the first thing is probably evaluating your goals and what you want to do. All right. So, are you trying to head towards, you know, winning an event? Are you preparing for another event? Are you working on a particular list and the event is just a way to get games in? Um, You know, do you have some crazy ideas that you just want to throw against the wall kind of stuff? What is it? What do you want to do?
2: Yeah, I think those are uh, great questions, and probably a lot of people who are kind of bouncing between a couple of big cons a year and a ton of local events probably go through that. So for me, right now, I'm looking like, okay, I've played Calos 1 50 times in the last several months. Maybe it's time to not play that anymore, um, but still remain competitive in local events, still find some spaces to explore. Uh, and eventually ramp up and get ready for you know, another con in the fall, where I'd be facing a, a more diverse meta, uh, and hopefully still have the tools to take that on after having been you know, in the local pool for a few months.
1: Okay. Do any of your local players travel to events?
2: Uh, yeah. Uh, there were, I think, four of us uh, up at the Sioux from Indianapolis. Okay. Basically, our entire meta is going out to MuseCon uh, here in yeah, a couple of cool. weeks. Uh, so that's that's really exciting for all of them. Uh, I went last year. It was an excellent time. Um, we've got a young uh, sort of up-and-coming meta with a few pretty
1: seasoned players um,
2: and five or six younger guys who are kind of ramping up and wanting to go to bigger cons and become more competitive. So it's a nice mix.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. So so it sounds like you you want to stay sharp, but you also want to experiment a little bit. And in general, you want to play on a competitive level and perform. So definitely looking at the meta, but not just at the meta that you're going to be playing into is important. Um, what you, I think you gave us some links to some of the local events here. Uh, and it looks like you've got fair representation across uh, across your meta. Is there anything big that's missing? That's probably one of the first things to think about. Is... Yeah. I th-
2: I think at the moment, you know, Minoth is is lacking in the meta. There are a couple of players who are are thinking about picking it up, but it hasn't really been around. Um, so it hasn't really been something I've had to consider, even though it is kind of a, a natural predator for a lot of what Legion's doing right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that was something I talked about quite a bit in my two preparation recap is I think looking over the Legion matchup analysis, Protectorate pins the faction pretty hard into a few specific choices uh, of kind of what to bring. Uh, because they're, a, with Exemplar Interdiction, they're a pretty extreme version of the shooting problem. And they just, all of our defensive capabilities seem largely irrelevant. So <clears throat> it's not always the case, um, but it's terrain dependent. And uh, they do have outs depending on what you're preparing for to be able to get around, you know, whatever kind of stuff you're throwing at them. So not having protector around is really interesting. Um, do you, you said there's some people picking it up. Do you, but there's no one that's been playing it regularly at events and is like a like a seasoned tournament player,
2: right? Right. I think everyone's in a phase where, you know, you see the adjudicator across the table, but maybe it's not quite what it could be.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so one of the things to think about too in a meta like that is if there's something big missing, how is that going to impact the meta? So Protectorate does prey on some things, and um, it also gets beat up by some things. And uh, we're one of the prey, unfortunately. Mm. Yep. Um, that's just kind of how it is. Uh, but that can also work in your favor, in my experience. If a faction doesn't care as much, they're not prepping for you, they're kind of hand-waving an answer. So sometimes that can make it easy to to kind of figure out what they're trying to do, too. Um, so like, we almost always get Iona uh, for Circle matchups. It's because Circle isn't particularly concerned about Legion for the most part. Um, and unless we bring something really weird that's to like specifically teched into Iona, they're probably just going to drop it because it's one of their easier lists to play. Uh, it has a lot of give uh, in terms of how you have to execute it. It can cover up errors fairly well, and it it plays really well on a variety of scenarios so i think it's i think looking at that is interesting how is the so looking at the other kind of quote top factions at the moment circle scorn i'd probably put Kator in there honestly Grimkin. yeah
0: i think Kator deserves a spot at this point
1: how is that representation
2: uh, yeah, we've definitely got a, a good volume of Kador players. Uh, we've had one of our our better locals playing them recently as well. Uh, a lot of Wolves of Winter happening.
1: Mm-hmm. How about how about some of the the unsung heroes or the people, the factions that are missing from the meta, like Signar, Crix, uh, Convergence, Trollbloods? Uh, are you seeing any of that stuff?
2: Yeah, we definitely have those pop up
1: uh, occasionally.
2: And I do think like a general theme in our meta, or at least how I see it, is there's really two types of players. Uh, people playing like strong linear threats, um, like an Iona or uh, Vlad 2 with Doom Reavers. It just goes really far, hits really hard. Um, and then a lot of players very focused on ex- specifically assassination above all else. Um, so you kind of have to switch back and forth between two of those game to game. Uh, you don't know if you're going to get uh, someone who wants to play like an attritiony grind, uh, or someone who's just angling to shoot you off the board top of three.
1: Okay, yeah, and that's an interesting line to to have to straddle because you're those uh, like I've talked about with Vale before. A lot of the times, the way assassination casters will get you is by making you overextend on the attrition game. So some of the attrition casters who can then pull assassination out of their hat is definitely something to pay attention to. So our caster, I mean, as a hordes faction, usually it's a pretty easily identifiable mistake when you die. You're like, oh, I had a beast that was full that shouldn't have been. Or, you know, I should have just camped that one extra Fury, and then I can shrug off that 15 damage hit that got to me. Um So we're a little less vulnerable to that than most, but there are some things out there like Iris uh who can just make that not work. So being aware of that kind of stuff is good, too. Is Rhett a thing around you? Yes, definitely. Um
2: So they're... In the lists I put out there, there weren't any, but we do have several uh, rep players. Um, seeing a lot of Gareth too, uh, Raven, Ossian.
1: Yeah. Okay. Those are all. Those are all gross. They're probably running tridents because they're they're bad people. Uh, like they Gareth only roll
2: nines uh, around here. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, that's really gross with Raven uh, as the thing goes surfing around the table.
2: Yeah, Swift Hunter on a battle engine with shooting gallery is
1: just, it's the worst. Okay, so what's the, would you say like the shooting threat, the infantry threat, the brick threat? Like, are you are you seeing an even mix of those things? Is there anything that seems to be dominating?
2: I think, you know, for a long time, we got tons of practice locally in the meta. A lot of people were playing bricks. I think shooting has been more ascendant now with Rhett making a comeback, um, with Kador being in the meta, either with Armored Core having access to some pretty good guns uh, or the Colossals being on the table. So I think, you know, adjusting to guns that have the volume to threaten something like a Kalos 1 uh, is really the question to answer right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that has to be fairly high accuracy shooting as well. So, and some of those factions can definitely bring that i can tell you have you played against asphyxious one callous one
2: uh i haven't played the game yet but i did play cricks all of last year uh, okay. with playing asphyxious one as basically my main list so, so you
1: definitely I'm know well familiar with... <laughs> yes <laughs> um yeah there there are some things out there that Callous one is known well enough that people still bring it up when they're talking about threats in the meta, and I think it's because it's one of the. It is a really, really, really good list, and uh, the pairings often kind of the challenging part of it, particularly in a, a balanced meta, but in a slightly skewed meta, uh, I think we get a lot more flexibility. So, are, are there any lists that you're really into or like? models that you really want to play or casters or like are there is there a thing that you definitely want to put into your pairing or a thing that you want to particularly avoid
2: yeah so i think i've uh i kind of put off uh playing animag having come into legion in december uh, but i think you know she's very interesting like to talk about playing her going forward um, and i did just acquire two thrones so it would be great to talk about those as well. Maybe not in the same list.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, I've tried to make lists like that. It's not great. But the Animag buff with a Blightbringer, with Black Frost Shard, you can get some kind of stupid arm swings with all of that. But it's on Hex Hunters, so, you know, <laughs> not really the most damaging of units. Uh, so, yeah, let's... So, Animag is basically Primal Terrors. You could, you can absolutely look at her in other themes, but I think she excels in Primal Terrors for fairly obvious reasons. It gives you the free spell whenever something kills something in your control area uh, once per turn, stuff like that. And uh, in general, it's just our most efficient warrior model theme that actually gives you points for bringing infantry. So Ravens, you can you can put something together for her, and I've tried. But I do think Primal Terrors is probably a natural place to go. Is that kind of what you were thinking of doing? Or did you have something crazy planned that you wanted to try out? Yeah, I mean,
2: uh, I'm not going to lie. I've got a, an Animag Ravens list built. Uh <laughs> but I think, you know, Primal Tears is the place to start definitely having played that some uh or played a ton of PT with Kalos recently.
1: Yeah, and it's it's not that you can't do some cute things with ravens. I feel like one of the one of the really good counters to Gareth 2 is stealth. It's a little less good with the new objective that gives Isle Sight for a round, which is fairly significant uh but and he does have mage sight and stuff like that but overall um if you can bring stealth things into his army that does tend to work fairly well <clears throat> the a lot of the other threats like Kador doesn't really care about stealth that much these days because they're not playing rockets they're playing uh, a bunch of like turnians that are all spray based so uh, Circle in general probably isn't going to care too much about it one way or the other. They're they're really just going to one ravager will kill most of that stuff. So you have to be pretty careful. Uh, the ambush can help a bit, but uh, it's a little more interesting in the newer scenarios, I think. But I don't imagine those will be at the event. Um, yeah, no, it's,
2: it's definitely unlikely.
1: Scorn is around um most of it's scorn is tough uh scorn's another one that i think is really difficult for us but it's a less well identified difficult like protectorates very much uh like adjudicator problem for legion especially if you're bringing something like animag that harbinger just does not want to see whatsoever so did you so you said you have a raven's list um do you have do you have like some builds that you're looking at do you do you have a thrones build that you're interested in that's your primary list you have a animag list or are you just kind of throwing stuff around right now
2: Uh, definitely just throwing stuff around um i have looked some at doing uh like a Thagrosh with thrones um looking at some of the things where I'm seeing uh like retlists with double Trident, but the other list is forges um and so if I get in that situation, you know do I have enough armor to stand up uh, to something like that as well as being able to handle the guns?
1: yeah, yeah, it is ret can be kind of tough, <clears throat> especially Gareth 2, I think is is one of the particularly tough ones for Thagrash um and for religion as a whole. Because of mortality, and uh, the massive armor-piercing shots that he can throw out with Witchmark, so it's it can be tough. Um, I know when Alara Two was big with all the weapon masters, that was one of the things that I had a lot of trouble with with the Thagrosh One Double Thrones list. Is you need to be really careful about being outthreaded by really long threats. Uh, that can include Blood to Doom Reavers, it can be Alara 2, uh, basically anything that's really going to toss a ton of Weapon Masters at you, and if it's combined with any sort of damage buff, it can get bad fairly quickly, so that's some stuff that you need to think about, and <clears throat> really try to use terrain to your benefit to make that not work. Um, that's one of the reasons that Callus One shows up a lot is, you know, he functions regardless. It doesn't matter if you're killing his stuff; that's fine. No, <laughs> okay, it <goodbye>. really does. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I do, I do have kind of a soft spot for for Thagrash One, so definitely happy to talk about that. And um, I think. For if you're pairing it with Animag her ability to resist shooting is okay if you have a Blightbringer and Chosen that one unit of Chosen will be fairly durable as long as they don't shoot through your buffs and can't just like remove your Blightbringer uh, but she's not a really strong response to shooting despite what people said during the CID so I do think that whatever whatever, thrones list you bring, probably is going to want some way to be resilient to the shooting that you're likely to see. And that's probably either going to come in the form of an armor buff, some kind of protection, being occultation or, or both. And uh, probably you might be able to get away with throughout extension, but I think the only one that would really be reasonable there is Veil vale 2, so you could probably look at one of those. Um, I think if you're you're running someone like Veil vale 1 with Double Thrones, you probably want to have your other list be able to handle shooting a little bit better, and um, that's like one of the problems that I find with some of the casters right now is it's hard to cover that other thing a lot of the time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. What about, um, and maybe you could touch on this a bit. But when you look at running a double thrones list, um, particularly one with Valkyries, how do you work through where everyone's going to stand, what position things need to be on the table, um, like as you're approaching the scenario?
1: Yeah, one of the it is very scenario dependent, and for me, it's also very pairing dependent. For a lot of my pairings in Legion my lists are almost they're not exclusively built for the scenarios but they're built with that as a primary consideration so i really want my non-calus one list to handle the scenarios that calus one isn't great on being the dead scenarios and also with some nods to what just kind of obliterates that. So like Krios one, uh, Sorsha one, Morgul two, kind of the mass disable type feats or abilities that are going to just like level a primal terror's army. So when when you go into a table, uh, one of the most important things in my opinion with the thrones is that you need to. You need to know what their goal is. Probably like definitely turn two, but largely turn three uh, is kind of where they start getting their tentacles dirty because you need their threaded range is 12 inches, which is conveniently the size of a, th- of a circle, right? And the diagonal across a rectangle zone is about 13.6 inches. So, and the the objectives on most of the current scenarios are twelve inches apart, uh, like center to center, so also edge to edge. So one of the things that I try to do with my thrones, particularly if I'm going second, because that means that I'm going to be the one who can potentially clear zones or attack objectives, is set up the thrones in such a way that <clears throat> one they don't get caught up. You. You should always measure out 10 inches in front of the throne when you're deploying it and see if it can get around whatever the obstructions or whatever it is there, because they can if they lose distance on their initial movement, which is almost always a run, but sometimes you just walk and do a spine burst into something, if you lose that distance there, you you can really feel it for basically the entire game until things start really grinding down. So try to measure as far as you can. If you're playing against something like Magnus 2 or you know someone who has a really big control feat, try to make sure that they're towing zones when you can. I really like positioning them uh, because they're, the coverage of their melee is crazy. So if you think about how much how wide the thrones melee threat is it's a it's almost a five inch base and it has four inches on each side so it's about if you put a throne in the center of a zone it's reaching outside both sides of a circular zone because it's the total range is almost 13 inches so when you look at how wide Wide of an area that actually covers on a table, you're basically taking a circular zone and moving it around, and you're like, this is what the throne can hit while it's in one space um, and turn it into like a, you know, like half a circle. So if you're looking at the throne like that, um, what becomes most important, if you're trying to get into infantry, stuff like that, is not what the throne can charge but what the throne can charge and then hit after it charges. So a lot of the best work that I get out of thrones is actually because I'm mostly behind a forest or a building or whatever. And I charge some random thing that's, you know, fairly far away. And then all of my other attacks go into other stuff that I couldn't see before I went through that forest or whatever. So... Definitely positioning with the intention to get good line of sight to then uh, be able to make up for not being able to see through forests and things like that. No, yeah, like? makes a lot of sense. Towing zones, um, you know, just like making sure once when you're towing a zone, anything that comes into that is like thrown food. Um, if you're on something like invasion, if the throne runs up and bases up with your objective that means that you're no more than 12 inches away from the other objective so if you charge straight at the other objective you should get to it and if nothing else is in the way you'll be able to melee it so there are some things like that to keep in mind um the spine bursts are real big uh that's one of the biggest tricks that i use against mercenary players because they have tons of solos that love not dying whether it's <laughs> ragman or iris or you know whatever the case may be gorman they usually explode to a couple spine bursts especially when you get to reroll those uh, and people will do it a lot the spine burst range is also crazy if you look at five inches off of a large jack, uh, that's a lot. That's also almost an entire zone. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
2: So, I know you yeah. were talking about. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I know you were talking about doing that uh, with your own shepherds as well mm-hmm. to access pieces you can't see.
1: Yeah, if you have, uh, and you don't have to do it with just shepherds, that's kind of the most common. Uh, If you're running one of the Thagrush builds that has Hex Hunters, they are really good targets. Uh, They're only def 12 in the back. You need to put eyeless Sight on them if you have Fog of War up or something because they'll be stealth and you also don't want the Concealment bonus making them a 14. So the running Shepherds up is really good. Generally, Spell Martyrs are too valuable to do that. Sometimes you have one throne attack another throne with the spine burst because if you're getting into like you're really getting into a bunch of doom reavers let's say and you're spraying and you're like aiming at the back lines and you clear out a bunch but there's still a handful of them around your throne uh, you can send the other throne in, kill stuff and then bounce spine bursts off of your first throne and like clear out everything around it which can be pretty cool
2: yeah, and I know that you've played the Thrones quite a bit. Um, and just looking at coming from playing a Kalos 1 list that has so many different tools, do you feel like stepping into maybe a more limited list um, with a smaller model count or fewer models, how do you make that adjustment to play with uh, you know less options available to you?
1: The options available are generally deeper. Uh, there's just a lower number of them, but the, the way that you can combine them is is pretty significant. So, like the list that I run will often be along the lines of like two thrones, uh, Sorceress and Hellion or two, Hex Hunters, uh, Miss Speaker, sometimes a Forsaken, uh, usually at least one Carnivian, Valkyries for me, uh, because the Thrones are usually a dedicated shooting drop in a lot of cases. And I've gotten a lot of work out of Valkyries, even when there's no shooting. Uh, And then sometimes there's, you know, there's like some other beast points that you can fill in. And then sometimes you do weird things like throw in uh, a bunch of shepherds or uh, like a Naga or whatever, whatever the case may be for you. I really like Forsaken with thrones. I think usually these days you don't need the Fury management that much. Sometimes you do. But often uh, what the Forsaken ends up doing is just doing its Blight Bomb on things and just clearing stuff out. So it just tunes up your ability to remove infantry that much more. And the synergy between Hex Hunters, Sorcerer Sinhalion, and Thrones is incredible. If you haven't gotten to experience that, it will absolutely melt infantry. Like, if zaltu feats and runs 40 immortals in your face, two thrones, some hellions, some hexiners will kill all of them. Like, it's crazy. Because the 5-inch puncture aura does serious work against infantry like that. So <clears throat> that's something to keep in mind. Um even if you're not using the puncture aura, they're really good sprays. You know, it's a speed eight spray, eight magic seven, pow twelve. That's not bad. Um, the ice witches, I bring them in every single Oracle's list at this point because generally you're running low activation because there's really a great way to not do that with Oracles. So ice witches are extremely valuable in making sure that you can execute what you need to whether it's through the ice cages or most generally through puppet master and occasionally they just get sprays going so sometimes you just hit stuff Uh, sometimes you sometimes they need to be the sacrificial piece Uh, sometimes they just score a zone and throw puppet masters out from 10 inches away so There's a lot of things to think about. There's actually a lot of moving parts. Um, my, My guess is going to be that if you're moving into a list like that after having not played it for quite a while, you're going to feel like you're failing the list way more than the list is failing you, because there's so many moving parts. And when you go back and look at it, you're like, oh, my Sorceress should have been in that cover that it was right next to it. Or I could have just blocked line of sight to it, or, you know, maybe it should have ran sixteen inches over here and just capped that flag that I had cleared with spine burst. Um, Also, spine burst will hit flags, so just be careful with that too, Um, because they're a model; they just can't be targeted. But spine burst will hit them anyway. So that
0: applies to electro leaps too, eh?
1: Yep. Yeah. Any anything like that that. As, like, a you know, random number of models. So, yeah, I'd say one of the things that you want to look at is Callus's game is very much about controlling area with bodies, the throne games are very much about controlling areas with threat and also protecting yourself from getting too much on you at once. Uh, because that's what the death of those lists are. Also, uh, control becomes way more meaningful when you're relying on them that much. So sometimes the mini game is trying to not let them control the thing, or like making them do suboptimal plays in order to control them. That kind of makes up for what they're doing. So, Kelis is he he plays. It's a very different game. It feels like a different faction,
0: really. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Like, like, we we don't play a lot of infantry that often. He just, like, doubles down on the infantry, where it's like everything's kind of disposable, where normally our lists are everything is very, very valuable, and we have to get the maximum amount out of every single piece.
1: Yeah, whereas with Kalos 1, I'm often like, I need to not take these attacks, because it's just going to take way too long to have, like, 15 birds attacking things at uh mat six or whatever, when the thing isn't even damaged. Yeah, totally. Whereas with the Thrones and, you know, lists like that, the thing that you don't need to maximize usually are the sprays, because that's where your, your kind of really high volume of attack comes in where you have, you know, a dozen to more sprays a turn that you can put wherever you want. A lot of the time. I know a lot of Kator players are fairly surprised by the amount of Doom Reavers that you kill uh, when you're shooting at their backline turnians that don't want to be exposed to the battle. And you're just like spraying all over the place, spraying your shepherds, spraying your own models, like whatever, just like shooting magic sprays all over the place. Um, But yeah, I would say the big thing that you need to look at with the thrones is they're they're not that fast and one of the big things is allowing people to get some stuff on them but not enough because usually that is the sweet spot for a throne where you're able if they don't commit or retreat the throne is going to get a lot of work done it's and you don't generally an opponent that lets the thrones get an alpha on them especially in a list that can protect them in some way, like Bagrush 1 uh, or Saren or um, anyone like that, they're going to have a bad time. <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: you were talking last episode how a couple, like if you had gotten maybe one less model on your throne, it would have lived, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, it definitely would have. It got overkilled by one box, and that swings the game massively. And I just shouldn't have allowed that. Like, you know, I should have made sure that only three feated Doom Reaver, Vlad 2 Doom Reavers, could get on my throne. Yeah. Instead of four, maybe five, I should have measured a little bit more carefully. But, yeah, it's, that's, that's the game that you play with a lot of thrones, uh, or a lot of throne games play like that. And you will get diced, it happens, you know, like... Essentially, a Throne is a cater Heavy in terms of boxes and durability. It's arm 20, it's 36 boxes. That's basically what it is. Uh, it's just that they can't be moved around as easily. They can't be knocked down. Um, and for some reason, people will really over-evaluate the threat on them and dedicate a lot of work into them. And that's when the next wave kind of comes in. It's one of the best ways to fight Protectorate. In my experience, is hide your heavies behind the thrones, and put the thrones just in charge range of adjudicator, especially if Thagrush One is standing around and you can get them in the aura if they come in, because they they actually might not kill it if they are being really careful with their buffs, and that's going to cause massive heartache on the on the protectorate player's part.
2: How have you... Um, I've been looking at it and thinking about putting in something like a Naga. Do you feel like Wraithbane is needed or important, or it's just overkill?
1: Um, it's less important if you're running Animag as your other list, because she just has spell removal for days. Um, I think the Naga, the Naga is a pairing consideration and a meta consideration. So the things that Like, I used a Naga in my Saren list specifically because of the matchups that I wanted to cover. And uh, I was also looking at using a Naga in my Thagrush 1 list similarly because of what it needed to cover. So, the Naga is really good into, uh, like, Signar, for example, right? Like, they're starting to bring juniors again sometimes. uh, But in general, they do have a, a variety of defensive buffs. The Protectorate, especially if you have any guns, that's pretty good. But they actually have a fair amount of buffs also. Um, some factions, like Kador, uh, Armor Core, especially if it's something like Vlad 2 or whatever, the Naga can be a little bit of a liability because of how many points it costs. And occasionally something will come up where you're really happy to have it. But it's often not what you need in that matchup. Like, it's nice, uh, but sometimes it's not as needed. Like, a Naga in the Wolves of Winter matchup is generally not very useful. The Doom Reavers aren't going to have any buffs on them. Um, They're not running, like, a bunch of stealth stuff. There might be a couple things running around, but uh, like some clouds or something. But overall... Uh, the Naga is just a gun, and it's kind of an expensive gun for that. Um, yeah, that makes the, a lot of sense. With, with the Ice switches, you do get the rerollable shot for uh, Crit Shadowbind, and that can sometimes pull your ass out of the fire. <laughs> if you're playing into like Scorn Battle Engines or something, and you're like, this Animantrax is going to destroy everything I know and love, and I really, really just need to roll this crit shadow bind, and hopefully you do it. <laughs> um, so sometimes it's good like that. I think the kind of some of the threats like cricks where we used to like it because of being able to hit the uh, wraith engine. A lot of that stuff can get solved by the miss speaker, um, with retribution. I think it's okay. Uh they do have some buffs out there, but I don't find that it's it's overwhelming. It's not that useful. Uh I do it's it's kind of in a slot of mostly utility, but also has some combat efficacy. Uh and I put in a similar slot are things like Sorceress and Hellions, Hex Hunters. Uh, Miss Speaker, Valkyries are somewhat in there, uh, Seraph. So if you're looking at those pieces, uh, it's pretty easy throughout the releases that we've gotten to kind of su- like semi support bloat. And it depends on how much your list is executing otherwise. My Seren 1 list was like the bloatiest looking thing, but. It was for the matchups that it needed to play into. It actually worked out okay. Um, my Veil vale 2 list has two Thrones, but it has a Seraph in it. So, and it's because the threat on the Seraph itself on Veil vale and on the two Carnivians is, is a big deal. And also the uh, just being able to extend that threat sometimes is, is real big. I ended up really liking a serif with my Callus One build because it let me trigger finisher and it let me do like a little bit more of a Golab move and sometimes it would allow Callus One to wiggle two inches in order to move, you know, where dark guidance is and then put him back in a safer spot again, stuff like that. Um, but there are some matchups where it's it's a it's just a liability. Like I think convergence is a good example because they have so many shield guards most of the time, and they're generally not using buffs at all. So you know, if there's a really strong convergence player, that's when you don't want to look into Naga. And I'm not a big fan of them in the Crucible Guard matchup either, just because of the the way that that faction tends to play. And Troll Bloods has a lot of buffs that aren't based on magic so the naga can have a little bit of trouble there too so that's a long way to say it kind of depends but specifically it's if you're not using if you're not planning on using the wraith bane i wouldn't bring a naga the yeah no. it's okay but i wouldn't rely on crit shadowbind at all and it's expensive and the animus is expensive too so even some people might want to use it like some of the lilts can't actually afford to cast it.
0: Yeah, being one of the only two costs, it's like, it kind of stands out at this point. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So the Naga, I think it's, if you know, it's a little harder to justify in a broader meta, but if you know that someone in your meta is running, I don't know, like double Arcane Shield or they're running double. Defender's Ward, or whatever the different uh, buffs are, and Protectorate, or you have some shooting that really needs to do something, then that's kind of when I would look to a Naga a lot of the time. And the rest of the time, the Miss Speaker can do a really good job of what the Naga is doing for the most part. Uh, and it grants Isle site And then sometimes, and with the new objectives, I think we can even get away without either of those. Um, I've had a lot of trouble not having any way to grant magic weapons. And I think if Grimkin are prominent in your meta, it's definitely a consideration uh, because you can maybe pop Gremlin Swarms, but their stealth, you know, they can just be kind of difficult. And so it depends a little bit. Um, If you're planning on running Animag, I think she crushes a lot of the damage problems just by sheer force of will (laughs) you know like Kador you can just crash Animag into them it's fine Um, like they will sometimes live through it Um, but yeah I'd say the Naga it wouldn't be the first thing that I put into a list you know what I mean it would be like, "Okay, I've got all the core pieces. How many points do I have left, and those points will end up going into things like Nagas. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Another thing I was kind of thinking about while you were talking about that is, um, I think in my experience the the smaller or the local metas tend to lag behind what you see at a con um and then maybe something that was popular on a national level, like six months or a year ago, still exists in your local meta. Do you feel like there are any kind of legacy tech lists that you know we have a problem with right now?
1: Nemo three, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Who plays Nemo three? Come on now. Uh, he was at the zoo. Yeah, I know. Um, the I think Haley three is actually kind of a pain in the ass, but Thrones are utterly horrifying to her. They really are. They're just, you can't disable them with the shooting. And if you have like, if you have Valkyries, they can't CRA them at all. And uh, when they charge into trenchers, especially if they have a hell of sight, they just pop up all of them. They all just get, they lose dug in within like the 13, almost 13 inch area, you know, a range that the throne crashes into. So, and then they just all get sprayed to death. So things like that. Um siege one is still kind of he's still around. Um Amon is strangely bad for a lot of our matchups. Unfortunately, he's just not around at all. Uh at least in my experience. But you just don't want a it's the same thing with like Bradigus or uh Anything that's going to really, really crank damage on a bunch of models that are fairly cheap can be problematic. Uh, the The counter to that is Animag smashes those lists apart. So, if you have Animag uh, and they drop a Mon or something, that's kind of suicidal. So, maybe they don't do that. Um, hopefully. Same with things like Bradigus, is a little bit more different. Um, but like Una 2 and uh, like Asphyxious 3, Nine Slayers, that kind of stuff, uh, were kind of metabolies. And that's when Animag was big, and we just did not care because you know, Matt 9 Chosen with 3d6 to hit are going to hit birds and they will like eviscerate them when they get there. Uh, they'll hit slayers and even if the slayers arm 19 you know your chosen is hitting at probably at least power 19 and they don't want any part of that especially if they get knocked down from the crit uh the fury efficient or the focus efficiency just goes to hell pretty quickly so some of that stuff i think we kind of get out of uh scar one is still kicking around I think she's she's always going to be a difficult game unless you have something really weird going on because she just everything hits so hard and so accurately and it's all so cheap that it's difficult to kind of attrition a game like that. You have to kill a lot before they get there and then you have to stagger how they contact you so that you don't just explode on contact. Uh, I'm trying to think what other weird things are around, like Ron is super annoying. If you have a rep player playing Ron, that's a great reason to look at things like weird things like Saren, because she can just tell him that he can't assassinate her, and that feels really good. Just don't let him force hammer anything over you. Um, Ostrom, the Thagrush one game is surprisingly good into Ostrom. In any build, if you have the Valkyries, even in like double battle engine, Uh, the mercenary jacks in general, not always, but in general, don't hit super hard. And generally the casters, although they run them really efficiently, they don't have the focus to give out. They don't have a lot of empower or anything like that. So if they're running a bunch of jacks, they can't leverage that whole jack threat at the same time in order to take down like arm 22 thrones. So that kind of stuff is interesting. Um I'm just looking through Gurma is a big pain in the ass. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what
0: to do about her, man. I'm
1: yeah, glad she... I don't have a troll player, but like Yeah, there are a lot of people saying that. Um <laughs> glad I don't have a troll player. And the troll players, like, they've been playing Colgrima since she came out.
0: Yeah. Well, so, trolls it, right now is like, like we mentioned it before, they they got caught really badly in the crossfire between Ravel Terrace and Devourer's Host, mm-hmm. where they're like, but that's our whole identity.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, what else is weird? Balder 1, or not Balder 1, Balder 2 can be really weird. That's one of the cases where if your meta has a Balder 2 player, just bring a Naga. They yep, very sad. not to drop Balder 2 if there's a Naga in one of your lists that has any type of damage output. I do look at that
2: uh, all the time, and I'm like, oh, I hope I don't see this. Uh, but our circle players really hate Balder 2 for whatever reason. They refuse to drop
1: Yeah, he's... With the wall and everything, it's just... He has some really good matchups, but I I can I can understand why people don't bring him. But he's one of those things that, like, if the meta just rotates enough so that they're not even paying attention, he can definitely catch people with their pants down. Um, there's actually some Legion lists that are pretty scary. Um, it's just that they they have particular linchpins that suffer in the current meta. So, like, Lola 3 is a great example. Not everyone gets to have Shield Guards and Sack pawn forever. Um, she will just kill people. So... <laughs>
0: yep. I won my first tournament with her.
1: Yeah. yeah. You're like, oh, you haven't seen this? You're dead. <laughs> yeah, I know much. you didn't leave your deployment zone yet, but you should have stayed farther back. <laughs> uh... So, yeah, some things like that can be really, really kind of funny. Um, Pretty much all of Scorn is a problem. I don't know. They just bring tons of battle engines. Their stuff all is more durable and costs less, usually, and has better support options and hits harder. It's generally not faster, but it is also sometimes faster. So... There's a lot of scorn threats. Um, If you see like Rosheth or something, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Try to kill him. Um, The Maalok can be really interesting. A lot of people play Rask now, which is quite a bad matchup for Thrones usually because they, I don't know, have you played against Rask?
2: Uh, I haven't. I've played against Maalok. Uh many, many times,
1: yeah, um, it's probably like Rask can suffer a little bit into like callous on live scenarios, but just Rask hits so hard, and as the stuff in that list threatens so far, it's crazy, so that's definitely one of the threats that I would say is something to watch out for um jogaga yeah, with croaks does not want to see Thagrush one.
2: I haven't seen it much, but uh, I feel like the Dracodile with Sturm and Drang is a thing that I just have no idea about.
1: Yeah, and they have TK. There's like, yeah, there's there's weird stuff going on. Minions is a weird place. Arcadius is super weird. Like, you just when you think of crippling grass, you don't think of minions. Um, and then, I mean, for Grimkin, Dreamer has always been a staple for them. Um, there isn't a lot to say about them. Clockatrices are a big pain in the ass. Um, Arcana are annoying. The, their stuff is just really difficult to remove. Um, but I find that Legion, in general, has Grimkin's number. So usually it's not something that we're really worried about. Although I think uh, with all the new releases, not so much their older stuff being a problem, uh, but some of the newer stuff could definitely be an issue. Zerkova one, be careful with her. Some of my worst Cater games are into Zerkova. It's really bad. Um, <laughs> if you you'll see it, like if it happens, it sucks.
0: Yeah,
1: I is serious serious. What's your feet do? Uh, it does a lot. <laughs> I'm uh, sure. <laughs> Her feet is a paragraph of oh, okay. things you can't do anymore.
0: Oh, she like the no charging, no shooting, no everything.
1: Yeah, she's one, one of the she's one of the casters who will walk up in front of her army, right. and just be like, "I feed it. What are you gonna do about it?" Uh, and then the rest of the army just kind of positions around her, kind of waving her ass at you in the wind, and you can't do anything about it. Uh, cuz she has clouds too yeah. so something like animag can be really really sad into her because basically if if chosen and things like that can't charge into shock troopers it's it's bad it's just not good at all
0: yeah i remember playing against zerkova once and the, my opponent had a bunch of uh, countercharging models mm-hmm. and i had raptors and i would yep. charge them in and he would just countercharge and just kill one yeah. Charge another one and counter charge, kill it. I'm like, great. This is going to be a fun game.
1: Yep. That's like yeah. uh, Zadash 2 also.
2: Definitely don't miss seeing legions of steel at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: With the counter charging, precision strike weapon master crit knockdown stuff. That's fine. It's alright. Cador says that that theme is terrible. They just play the other four good ones. So... Uh Zirkova's feet is inner control range, can't make ranged attacks, uh, can't run, charge, make power attacks, special attacks, give or receive orders or special or make special actions.
0: And it's if you've started in there, right? Or if she feed it on you while you're in it.
1: It's beginning your activation.
0: Yeah, so you can't even back up and shoot. Like that's that's the insane part.
1: Well you can back up and shoot, you can't uh, do any of the other stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. The only um, part that says "well" in is the shooting.
0: Oh, okay, okay. Uh,
1: Cole Grima might be the one that just tells you to bugger off.
0: Yeah, you might be right.
1: Um, but one of the things to really watch out for with some of the cater builds is the Graylord adjunct. Is a dickhead? Um, <laughs> Cutter. <laughs> it's true. I hate that guy. He's he's been like the. He's been the biggest problem in all of my recent Kador games because of either guidance or when you when you see Sorcia with an extra two range on all of her spells, it's a bad day. It sucks. Um thinking about them having an arc note is real bad.
2: Yeah, and the new uh the new theme with her having access to uh lancers mm-hmm. seems good.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait for that. Um, So that is a lot of stuff. Um, Let's kind of try to go back to what we were talking about earlier, talking about list considerations, putting a pairing together, uh, and then structuring practice. So talking about all of that stuff, um, are are there any lists that like, if you were to pick a few lists, what are things that are kind of resonating with uh, p- Lists for me or lists that I have to play against? Lists for you.
2: I definitely think uh, Thagrosh, Double Thrones, uh, mm-hmm. and then Animag PT. Okay. seems like that's a place to go. I know we did discuss those quite a bit.
1: Yeah, and are there things that... Do you have other lists, or are you pretty dedicated to those and just working through different iteration- iterations on them?
2: Uh, the way I've approached it in the past has been to, you know, try to play something at least ten times before moving on. Um, but like I've also been playing Lilith One and uh, Veil vale One in yeah. uh, PT, uh, which has been good fun as well. That's interesting,
1: Lilith One in PT.
2: Oh, sorry, is... Lilith One in Children.
1: Oh, okay. I was like, are you running War Spears or something? Yeah. Um, I tried to make that work. It was it was not successful. But they hit really hard.
2: Yeah, I think everyone's done the, the war spear math with Lilith 2. Try and figure out how many attacks it is and if it's any good.
1: Mm-hmm. You're like, what if I charge and gunfighter throw a spear and then throw a spear and then throw a spear? <laughs> and you're like, well, I miss and then kill all. Of, uh, or I guess the assaults don't kill your own, but the gunfighter shots can. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Um yeah, so if you're if you're looking at Animag, uh there are some different builds for her. There's like the double chosen build, there's the Golab build, there's um I was messing around with like a Min War Spears build. You can do more birds, you can do a bunch of warmongers. Do you have like a kind of animag that you like?
2: Uh I think I'd like to go with um like Max spells. Uh, so bringing a lot of spell martyrs, um, trying to play with her in that way as opposed to maybe just double chip.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I gotcha. I um talked to Nate a lot on the trip up to the Sioux. Um, and I think he talked about it a little bit on the cast that we had him on. With her having a misspeaker is actually really cool because her, if you have three, at least two, maybe three spell martyrs, and a Misspeaker, the threat that she leverages with her spells is fairly extreme, uh, because she's she is accurate, and a lot of people will get caught off guard with her doing ritual sacrifice castings through a spell martyr with Isla's Sight. It's like really out of left field. It's very difficult to prepare for, because your whole turn's going around, you're Seeing what's going on, and then suddenly a spell murder moves up, and then like a hex blast goes flying out of it. Um and just kills your whatever solo is on your flag or something. So that's something I would look at. Um the four points, even though it seems minimal, the tights are really or the points are really tight in that theme. So I'm not sure if it'll work out for you, but uh it's something I would think about, especially with casters like um, Gareth Q running around can be really helpful to be able to keep him honest. Um, it's one of the reasons I put some range threat into this heron list that I had, was just to keep him from being quite as cheeky in the middle of the field. So that's something I would look at. If you're really trying to leverage the spell casting, sometimes a chief can be useful too, to get her in a magic 8. Um, I find that's kind of a luxury, but if you're running two units of Wormongers, um, I f- usually that's where like the Berserk attacks can start getting out of hand. So uh, on her feet turn, you don't want crazy Wormongers killing your chosen. It's very sad. So uh, that can be a thing to do too. Um, also, her chosen healing up uh, from killing things. And being armed twenty-one with rapid healing can be a big pain. So it's it's something to look at. That's the kind of animag that I like a lot. Um I love gallowsing things that one inch minimum to pull them into hellmouth range because they stood 12 inches away. So <laughs> it's one of the things that I think she does better than any of the other casters that we have is really tune up. The threat of the mouths because they benefit from basically everything in her kit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Jordan, so going forward, what do you think your pairing is going to be then?
2: Well, so I think uh, I'm going to go with the Thagrosh Thrones. Um, try that out here in the next couple weeks. Try Animag out as well. Uh, and then if I'm feeling comfortable with that, we go with go with the two of them uh in a couple of tournaments if i don't get enough games i'll probably fall back and bring callus one um but it seems like from the conversation we've had which was pretty positive you know in a world where all the options aren't available you know it's a pretty viable pair
1: yeah i think a callus it's easy to crutch in callus one um and just like play him into everything, like all the games that I lost at the zero, I was like, I should have just played Kalos one. Um, and I think the Thagrush list is powerful. Um, I've been a champion of it for a long time. The big decision points that I would recommend thinking about are um, what you're kind of how you fill out the points beyond the Thrones Typhon and a and hellion and ice witches um because i think those are all kind of critical pieces i really like the carnivian being in there because the 18 inch assault threat on the spray is a big deal and it just gives you another big meaty thing to kind of stick in the middle of the table for thag to hang out with um One of the bigger decision points that I end up making is whether or not I want to run Hex Hunters with Bale or a more specialized list. I find the Hex Hunters get murdered pretty handily by Protectorate, um, by Makeda 3. Uh, I wouldn't really, you're probably going to drop Animag into most scorn anyway, but um, it's. Those are decision points. Um, One of the things that I will say about the Hex Hunters with Thagrush 1 and a generalist list is if you're playing into any types of bricks or uh, battle group heavy things, you can run the turn that they're going to commit. You can apparate the Hex Hunters up, charge them in to hit a bunch of beasts. Gives them some blocking bodies that they have to spend resources getting rid of. And then they also all have to shake Shadowbind, unless they somehow randomly shake it without doing that. And that ends up creating a really big gain in efficiency for the Thag rush list. Um, a lot of people won't really fully recognize how much resource uh, drain that can be, but it's what keeps the list alive a lot of the time. Makes sense.
2: Yeah,
0: Shadowbind is really powerful, for sure. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: oh, I, th- I think, uh, Jordan, you said you got to start thinking about taking off. Um, Is there anything that you want to touch on really quick before you go?
2: No, I think that was great. Uh, it's good to come on and, and talk tech.
1: Yeah, um, I would recommend getting targeted matchups in as much as you can. Um, you know, definitely try to play people. Even if they get some experience into your list, um, the especially the Thagrush list, which I think is more different than what you've been playing, is going to take a lot of reps to kind of start seeing how to commit things. Every turn can feel kind of like one of those really critical feats of like, how do I commit this? Um, because his, his feat is kind of split into his aura uh, and always look for mutagenesis assassinations. <laughs> A great out to a bad game
0: totally so, uh jordan you got any events coming up you want to uh, promote on the show before you go
2: uh so we post all of our events uh in the facebook group uh called wits so it's a war machine and hordes indiana tournament series uh so anyone who's in the indianapolis or indiana area uh, we get a lot of players from ohio michigan kentucky illinois Uh, Look us up. Post our schedules there. Uh, We're always talking about what we're doing and where we're going to be.
0: Awesome. Uh, Cutter, what do you got coming up?
1: Nothing of note. Um, There's like some local events, but my schedule is a little difficult to predict right now. So I'm hoping to be able to make it to some of the events that are in the region. Um, But the next ones, yeah, I don't have anything for probably at least a month other than trying to make some goal events
0: okay fair I'm enough i
1: try to make TGX if I can but that's, yeah. that's a ways out still
0: yeah totally okay well uh, thank you Jordan for coming on the show um, Cutter as always we appreciate your depths of insight and the willingness you have to speak about it
1: <laughs> rambling
0: nah man I it's it makes for good good radio um, <laughs> as much as you consider it rambling uh, so yeah <laughs> And Jordan, thank you so much for coming on.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It was a pleasure.
1: Yeah, definitely let us know how it goes. Uh, It's always interesting to look back on kind of your thought process going into something like that and see how it turned out. I have a
2: feeling there will be a lot of uh, why didn't I stand here Mm -hmm. uh, going through my head afterwards.
0: (laughs) All right. So we'll try and get some lists in the show notes for what we discussed today. Uh, as always, a link to the Discord will also be in the show notes. Come and chat with us on the Legion channel. And I think that will do. So I want to thank you all for listening to episode 42 of Blight Bringers. We'll talk to you again soon. Cheers. Alright, bye guys.